Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Realston. I'm your host today and I'm joined by my two favourite people in the whole entire world, Samuel Luckhurst and Tyrell Marshall. Samuel, how are you today? Fine, thank you. Uh, it's, it's a privilege to be placed above Alan Shearer and Jackie Milburn and, and, and all those other Geordie greats who you, you must must also revere, Stephen. I was looking for Nick Pope, actually. I wondered where, I wondered where Nick Pope was. There's a posters of Nick Pope and Eddie Howe just on that wall over there, so I'll not I'll not turn the camera. Uh, Ty, how are you today? Uh, yes, good, thank you, Stephen. Good, honoured to be given such um, such a such a big billing. Let's hope we can live up to it. Of course, of course. Over the next half an hour, we'll digest Manchester United's two-two draw with Leeds and, and look ahead to Sunday's match because United are playing Leeds again just a few days later. Obviously, this weekend coming up in a, an unusual double header. But we'll get straight into the analysis of Wednesday night's game. Tyrone and Samuel were both in the press box as usual. Samuel, I always like to get your, your kind of your, your reaction as you left the stadium, your first kind of thoughts. It felt like two points dropped, didn't it? Considering the opponents, considering they'd sacked the manager earlier in the week. And I guess Casemiro's absence had the potential to be huge and it felt like that on the night, didn't it? It certainly did. And unfortunately for United, uh, They've they've paid the price for the Queen's death back in September because these two rearranged matches they've had they've they've dropped points in in both of them against Palace and now Leeds. I mean Ten Hag summarised it quite well in that he said it was mixed feelings and that obviously United were two 0 down at uh, at one stage in the second half with with half an hour to play they avoided defeat so there's a positive to take from that. The last time they lost at home in the league they were two 0 down the second half they couldn't recover that day against Brighton, uh, the team, the squad has since been imbued with with fortitude that they didn't have uh, back in the opening weeks of the season. So there's a positive to be extra- extracted from that. And of course, Sancho's goal score in return. But it was really quite striking that they started the second half in an identical manner to how they started the first half. I always felt if they'd got an equaliser before half-time, then they might have won that game quite comfortably because Leeds were not certainly not watertight and United had two or three very good chances in the first half to at least be level at half time but the performance overall was quite problematic they they did look like a team that were missing seven players uh, a number of them very important players their entire midfield the, the starting uh, first choice midfielders n- neither of them were available uh, obviously the whole right hand side changed I really did find it strange that Rashford was he spent the whole of the first half on on the right hand side. I, I think I even wrote in the in the blog that it was a matter of time, or he he would have to, you know, he, he would certainly change at some point during the first half, but he didn't. And and Garnacho has has not got the experience or the credits in the bank to be indulged is probably the wrong word. But if you're going to maximise someone in their best role, it has to be Rashford because he's is the best attacker in the team and he's been one of the best attackers in the Premier League this season. And of course, as soon as they moved him to um, a more prominent position, he scored very quickly. And, and Ten Hag's game management certainly had an effect in in the second half and they got that equaliser early enough that clearly a lot of supporters would have been disappointed not to have got the win. But given the situation they were in, uh, with 2-0 down with, with half an hour to go, to have avoided defeat, I don't think is a disaster in the grand scheme of things. And also, I think it probably might help United in the long run in that if they'd won last night, you've got this tedious title talk that starts again. And United aren't going to win the title this season. So 
I think they could actually, it, it might benefit them to kind of somewhat be in their comfort zone where they're vying for third or fourth, which is, is going to be competitive, but there's not the added pressure of uh, the, the title chatter because the last time that started, they, they didn't win either of their next two games in the league. I think there was a chance for Ganacho in the first half. Um, I think everyone in the stadium thought Rashford would have scored that. So I think you're right. And in that sense, obviously, Rashford started down the right, didn't he? Which is the opposite side to his usual position, but we'll come on to that in a moment. Um, Ty, obviously, they came back from two goals down to secure a draw, which is obviously a positive. But probably the biggest positive on the night was Jude and Sancho. Obviously, he returned last week against Nottingham Forest after his period uh, out of the first team. Um, for me, it was probably a man of match performance, I think. He was proactive, creative, and he obviously got the goal. So what did you think of his performance, really? Um, and obviously, it's fantastic to see him back, isn't it, in smiling again? Yeah, it is. It is great to see him back, and it looks like he's enjoying his football. When in sort of the end of September and October, he, he clearly wasn't enjoying his football. He looks nothing like the player we'd, we'd come to see at Borussia Dortmund, who kind of played with that freewheeling style, the, the shoulders low, running at players. He just looked. He looked way down. Excuse me. He looked way down in in October, and there was just no confidence to try anything. Whereas that that appears to be back now. That confidence. He was running at players last night. There's a couple of times he he had Luke Ayling on toast. Um, the goal was. You know, the, the goal won't go down as it's probably the worst goal he scored this season for for United. He just kind of dug the shot out, and and Islam Millier should should really have saved it. But it was a fantastic moment for him to score. He did really well, actually, I thought, to create that chance for Fernandez, either in injury time or 88, 89th minute, when he kind of found a pass in a really crowded area and Fernandez's shot got blocked. And I think Ten Hag talked about it after the game, that that is what Sancho can do. He's United are so used to playing on the counter-attack and playing on the break that they need someone who can operate when it's a deep defence and, and take players on and take people out of the game rather than just running into space. You know, Rashford, when he plays on the left, is a run-into-space kind of player. Garnacho's a... Garnacho can run past players, but he's still kind of a, a counter-attacker. Sancho can do that, but he can take players on as well, and he can operate in tight areas, and I think we saw that a couple of times when United were forcing Leeds back, Leeds started to defend really deep. There was a lot of times where Sancho had the ball kind of 18 yards, 20 yards out, loads of defenders around him, and he managed to find a way to get a cross in, find a way to pick a pass, so... Yeah, really, really impressive performance. And I think after that, that two two half an hours now he's got under his belt. I think he'd he'd be in my team to be starting um, at Leeds on on Sunday for sure. I think he's he's earned that right now. I think he was the last player off the pitch again, wasn't he? Can you guys confirm that? From the, they said that on MUTV. I think so. Yeah, he gave his shirt away. He he was a few players gave always seemed to give their shirts away, but he he certainly was very grateful for the support again. Yeah, I was going to say, I may, I, I didn't notice he was the last one off because it was one of those games where once United have made it 2-1, it's one of those games that you can't, you couldn't really take your eyes off it. The atmosphere was brilliant. It was end-to-end. It was totally frenetic. Leeds had some good opportunities. And one of those, when you're in the press box, knowing you've got to work, knowing you've got to write things, but you also don't dare look away from the pitch because because so much was happening. So as soon as the final whistle went, it was head back in laptop and, and get writing. But it was, I thought it was one of the most enthralling games that, that has been at Old Trafford this season. I think we said last week that a lot of their wins there this season, certainly recently, have been routine, really, completely lacking in drama. And last night certainly certainly had drama. And I did think for the last 25 minutes, at least, it was it was an incredibly watchable game. 
just unfortunately for everyone else in the UK, they couldn't watch it. We'll talk about Rashford then, Samuel. You've touched upon it in your previous answer. Um, he started on the right last night. I think everyone on this podcast, we've always agreed Rashford's best on the left. However, he's obviously played down the middle uh, this season and to quite good effect. He's been very good. And I think the difference with Rashford this season, I saw Ty write about it this morning, actually, and our colleague Liam Corliss tweet about it. He's scoring strikers' goals. He looks better in front of goal, doesn't he? He's taken those chances. So could you see him playing down the middle for the rest of the season, perhaps? Because I think Weghorst was a bit anonymous last night. It's probably fair to say. And I think if you play Rashford through the middle... the middle's putting it politely, I think. Yeah, it's, it's more of a dynamic attack, isn't it? So do you think that's something we could see for the remainder of the season? They, they certainly need to consider it, and it will be interesting to see what they do on... Sunday, uh, given Anthony was absent through injury on Wednesday night and it remains to be seen if he'll be available for, for the game on Sunday. Uh, the, the press conference was held today. We're talking on Thursday. The embargo will be lifted on Friday afternoon. So, of course, there's always a, a team news update at that point. Uh, but Veghorst was just out of kilter with the rest of the players last night. And I think we'll speak... Carrington today, uh, Neil Custis said apparently had one touch in the Leeds penalty area, which is pretty troubling for for a, a striker, and that must have been where he miscontrolled it, I think. And it was really a, a long ball over the top that he probably should have killed, and maybe held the ball up, and United could have fashioned a chance out of it. But he is he's a victim of of Marshall. You can complain about their course all you want, and look, we we said from the outset before he had a kick for United, he is an objectively average striker. Uh, Cody Gakpo started ahead of him up front at the World Cup uh, he was someone that Burnley wanted off their books this season he has limitations at a club like United he is seen as a backup striker United did not count on Anthony Martial being made of papier-mâché really and, and crumbling again and the longer Martial is out you know that their course is going to start and it seems the more their course has started the weaker his performances have got I thought he made a decent start to his United career, decent link-up play, um, some, some some good actions, some some good movements. He, he obviously got the goal in his third game, I think it was, against Forrest. But again, a little similarly with, with Fred, when squad players are overplayed, eventually they're going to get exposed sooner or later. And Veghorst was exposed last night. And I really don't think Leeds on Sunday is, is an occasion where you want him leading the line. Leeds seem to thrive off chaos it seems quite ingrained in them maybe going back decades in fact but certainly under Bielsa they were I just thought they were a tactically anarchic team who were very very easy to beat but they did get the odd um, outstanding result and there's still that element about them now that they're managerless and it looks like they'll still be managerless on Sunday as well but with Marsh out the picture they they got a jolt last night and it was I mean it was immediate it was 56 seconds that they they scored and United were caught cold by them and you knew that Leeds were going to be fired up. So United need to need to match that. If they match that, then they they should beat them. However, Billiers it might be at Ellen Road and we know it's going to be hostile on Sunday. But Veghorst, I mean, Ten Hag has been very complimentary about his pressing. I didn't see any evidence of that last night. In fact, I saw quite a lot of hesitance from Veghorst as to whether he should... Uh, press uh, Ilian Melier or whether he should hang back a little bit and you you sympathise to an extent because United had some changes voiced upon them and Ten Hag's hand was forced and it's it's a new set of midfielders, it's a new right hand sided combination 
the best attacker in the team has been relocated um, inexplicably, really. I, I didn't see any logic in that whatsoever. So with the way Rashford is playing and scoring, he's got 20 goals now this season. It's, it's a very relevant point about the manner of his goals because that was a terrific header last night. He scored a great header earlier this season against West Ham. There are far more variations to his play. There used to be a period where he'd always hit the ball the same way. It would always be on the laces. There was no real finesse about his finishing. That's not been the case this season. Um, he's, 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 I mean, he's, he is in world-class form at the moment and you've got to maximise that as much as possible. You, you don't want to inhibit him. And it's a reflection of the, the the progress he's made this season that he actually does look like a centre-forward now. I don't think anybody really expected to be talking about should they move Rashford from the left wing to the centre-forwards role. But Veghorst is not up to it on a consistent basis. Marshall is not up to it on a consistent basis for, for other reasons as well. And with Sancho available again, it does make that decision a little bit easier if they do decide to relocate Rashford to the centre forwards role for a period of time, and they have to they have to look at it because you you want a player to be in a in a regular rhythm and to have uh, a clear outlook as to where he's going to be playing going into most games, and look, whether Marshall's available or not with Sancho back, and if Sancho can you know, kick on and uh, not just maintain this level he's shown in these first uh, games back, but actually uh, elevate his his level of performance, then it's actually a pretty straightforward decision that you've got Rashford in a very threatening area where he is doing well, um, moving there. I think Ty said how quickly he scored against Palace and last night after he was moved to the centre-forwards role. And Sancho has played his best football for United from the left-hand side, so... That, that does make the timing of Sancho's return um, particularly handy for United with these injuries issues they do have in attack elsewhere. Rashford has, pardon me, 20 goals this season, which is very, very, very impressive. He's obviously on course for his best season ever. And I like your paper mache reference, Samuel, because that's what I like to do on my Friday nights in Northern Quarter. Go at this specialist class and do paper mash. Do you fancy a tour night, Ty? Yeah, same same place as usual, mate. I thought you'd say you'd have better things planned, but fair play, you've signed. No, no, no I'm married with kids, mate. So just get me out of the house. <laughs> Dark nights in winter, Samuel in Newcastle. We, <laughs> yeah, we don't usually have yeah. electricity, of course. <laughs> um, is, Ty, is it unfair to say that kind of performance last night highlighted the lack of squad depth? I've wrote about obviously there were seven players missing, and if you take seven senior players out of any team, it's going to hurt them. Even a team yeah. like Manchester City who have, let's face it, two starting lineups. But Fred's performance last night, do you know what? He's been okay in the last few weeks, but he came in and he was quite poor, wasn't he? His, his passing was awful. So is that is that a fair assessment? And also, obviously, Sabitzer, he came in. I was going to ask you for his, his your verdict on his debut, really, because I thought he kind of he grew into the game as it went on. He did grow into the game. I was surprised he played the deepest role. Yeah. I thought Fred would do that. Um, and I think it showed early on, I mean, Leeds were all over him in the first 15 minutes and could have scored more than once and they played through United's midfield like it wasn't there because often it wasn't. Um, but he did, he did grow into the game, he did steady. Once United got a bit of control, he was he was better. But it, I mean, it did show how badly they missed Casemiro for sure. That's, uh, I was working out last night, the, the, since the start of the Arsenal game when he was suspended, they've had 200 minutes in the Premier League without him on the pitch and have conceded six goals and they just look so much more open compared to when he's playing. 
Is that Aston Villa in Arsenal? No, uh, Arsenal Palace. Obviously, they've down to ten men against Palace, but they should have still had more control of that game than they did, and they lost their one controlling player. Um, but with, I mean, with regards to the squad depth, it, it did show some issues, but there comes a point where you've got to accept that you can't you can't have that much depth. I mean, part of the issue I think is McTominay was missing. I think McTominay is Casemiro's best. Um, replacement at the moment you'd like to think that's an area that could maybe be improved next season but McTominay would have played that game I think had he not been injured because he's he's the next best player in that position and I mean Fred was poor but in this squad he's sixth choice centre mid maybe with fighting with Donny van der Beek for that role I mean whatever level you're playing at your your sixth choice centre mid there's going to be a drop off because you just can't have you can't have players at the same level that are sixth choice because they won't they won't hang around to play. So I think the, there's a little bit a little bit of misfortune that so many players are out injured at, at the same time. Basically, you, you're missing two you're missing two of your starting midfield there. You're missing one of your best backups in midfield. You're missing arguably arguably your best striker. You're missing your first choice right winger. That that's a lot to be missing at the same time, and I think it's going to hurt any team. To, to, to be missing that so yeah that there, there is an issue with squad depth there is an issue with depth in certain areas that, that could be improved you look at centre back it's it's probably pretty strong left back's probably okay right back's not been disastrous I think that they probably need something more in midfield certainly as, as holding midfield more than anything else um, but I do also think it's just misfortune in a way that so many players are out at the same time and they've kind of been forced into into that position because it is you know when you're calling on your your sixth choice centimetre it's it's you know it's just a fact that there's going to be a, a significant drop off there because it's it's difficult to go out and sign a 60 million pound even if Fred costs 50 I think we'd all agree he's in a 50 million pound player um, to go and sign someone at that level and tell them you'd be played in emergencies and you look at Fred he started the first two league games of the season since then he started five more league games I think most of them when there's been literally no one else I think it's. I certainly get the impression now that for whatever reason, Ten Hag just doesn't fancy him. Um, I thought he'd, I thought he'd do all right under Ten Hag, but he's picked as a last resort. Really, I think he's below even McTominay in in the pecking order for for a midfield role. And it is it's the inconsistency of him that I think probably infuriates. He had one of those games last night where he just can't pick a pass. His passing's all over the place. He's giving the ball away time and again, and he just has those games sometimes that that leave you scratching your head and. Last night was was definitely one of them, and that that inconsistency is is troubling. Where what you'd probably do want from a fifth, sixth choice central midfield is the ability to be a six or a seven every week. Whereas Fred can maybe be an eight, but he can also be a two or a three sometimes. And last night was one of those nights where it was just his radar was off, and he started badly and and had a bit of a shocker really. Shakhtar got a got a very decent deal didn't they? with a fifty million pounds. They did well out of that, didn't they? Yeah, very well. Um, it's probably worth talking about Palestri, Samuel Facundo Palestri, who came off the bench and he did very well to kind of sh- uh, shield the ball before laying it off to Dallow, who played the ball for Rashford's goal to half the deficit at 2-1. Um, he offers something different, Anthony, doesn't he? Because he's a right-footed right-winger and Anthony's almost like a knockoff Iron Robin, isn't he? He likes to cut inside. We know what he wants to do. That's his preference. But Palestri, he's able to take the ball to the byline and, and kind of cross the ball in. So do you think that'll help them? get more minutes as the season goes on because he's been very very underused hasn't he during his time in Manchester 
I have my doubts still that he'll be, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, getting. I, I still don't think he'll get five starts between now and the end of the season. Um, last night was an opportunity to play him. Uh, Garnacho started. Uh, Rashford was relocated uh, to, to the right hand side. I mean, he's he's got merits. I when I, I've, I've watched him, and I think this this goes for a lot of people, if not the everyone who's who watches him when when he does get a kick. He he does seem to do quite well. Um, he, he had a bit of a um, a bit of a mare with, with with a moment at Forest the other week uh, inside his own third, but there was a good action where he created a decent opportunity. I think the veg horse up the other end. So it, even when he's had a mixed um, and, and and brief cameo, uh, he's 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 done something that's been worthy of note. And and Ten Hag has been very complimentary about him, but. We're in February now, and this is what we, you know, Ferguson always used to say, is the business end of the season, and um, February is when you know things really start to to warm up. United have got a cup final later this month. Uh, the, the fifth round of the FA Cup is at the start of next month. Liverpool is four days later. Where the hell do you see Palestri starting any of these games? Even Leicester at home in uh, what, what's that next week? I think it is next Sunday. Do you do you bring him into that game? You know, it, it seems too much of a risk. If you've got your best players available, you want to play them, or certainly those core players who've played the uh, the majority of minutes this season. And he just doesn't fall into that category. So I think he's between now and the end of the season. Best case scenario of him is that he's he's an impact sub, and maybe towards the end of the season, if if top four is boxed off early, there'll be a start or two in there. But I just. I just don't really see where the opportunity is. Then again, I never saw how you could get Donny van der Beek into a starting eleven, and then in the must-win uh, final Europa League group game, there is starting against Raul Sociedad, uh, partly with a view to him starting against Villa a few days later because Fernandes was suspended for that game, but they lost that one. And you know, okay, things can change quickly, but I just can't really see Palestri having fulfilling playing time between now and the end of the season and in the summer they have to decide whether to to loan him out or, or cash in because I think there's that they, they could make a, a decent uh, I, I could certainly think there's an opportunity there to at least recoup the fee that they paid uh, Penuel for him in, in 2020. I wonder if we might see more of him off the bench partly because of what you mentioned there about him being something different and I know it's Tanaga a lot in recent press conferences talking about making changes to change the dynamic of the tack. And he, he talked about playing Fernand, like moving Fernandez to the right when he takes off Anthony because you go from defending against Anthony to defending against a semi-wide player, we called him. And it's, you know, the same with Vegorst and Rashford, they're two different players and it changes what the defence have got to do. And you can see that with Palestri. If you play Anthony there, he's not particularly direct. He cuts inside a lot. He's a lot about combinations and link-up play rather than dribbling. Um, and then you play someone like Palestri, who is a direct runner, takes players on down the outside. It does kind of change that dynamic. And it seems to be a word that Tanag has, has struck on a lot recently. And almost like he doesn't want like-for-like like changes in attack. He wants to change something that changes what the defence are, are thinking about. And I guess the one thing you can say for Palestri is he does that. And it was noticeable he's, he's been coming on ahead of Anthony Alanga, who probably really should have gone gone on loan and... I think maybe the part of the reason we're seeing him come on for that is because he does do he does change that that dynamic and make it slightly different for defences. That's a nice little segue, Ty, you've given us there. 
talking about um, Kenog's press conferences because I got a lot of brownie points off our producer Seb for asking you for Mixone insight the other week at Crystal Palace. Now, I'm not going to ask about that today. I'm going to ask about the press conferences. So for supporters, I obviously don't know. When you're on the ground, <clears throat> pardon me, you're in the press box, you're covering the game. What what kind of happens after full time when you go into the, the press room? Obviously, journalists ask questions from Ten Hag. Uh, could you tell her a bit about that? And what was the mood like after the draw last night? Because he used the word disappointed, didn't he? And he talked about the intensity of the performance. And I don't think he was best pleased. It's it's pretty routine. You do your work and then you you head into a press conference room and you wait for the manager to come in and uh, you ask him a question uh, that you feel the need to ask him and that is, interests you and you think is going to interest the the readership as well. So... It's 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 pretty bog standard stuff, really. There's there's no uh, there's no real formula to it, and um, yeah, that's that's it. So exciting, Samuel. So exciting. Know, Full of life there. Well, it's uh, it's it's not. It's it's really. Uh, it's it's not. No, that's fair enough. That's not that yeah. fascinating. I don't think it is more fascinating around the the tunnel area, but the the mix zone. Uh, it's although on television, if you see a manager giving. Uh, an interview uh, to one of the broadcasters that is conducted within the tunnel or just inside the, the the mouth of the tunnel but the mix zone is is essentially it's it's a concourse it's where people go and place their uh, pre-match or half-time bets if they um if they haven't got an app or if they want to go and get a a pie or a or a carling or whatever it is they've they've got on tap that's that's flat and disappointing so uh, the mix zone at, at old trafford is very very temporary and um yeah it's 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 barely a mix zone to be honest but the you know we can't complain because players have been stopping to talk to us this season and you're never going to complain about the access to actually speaking to to a man united player so ty what did we learn from that game because obviously they're playing again on sunday and uh, there is a double header this week um, and kind of what team would you go for? We'll kind of mention the changes we might make. And um, for me, I'd probably start Sancho. Yeah, this, I think you recorded two assists at Ellen Road last season in the 4-2. Almost coming up to, yeah, uh, to that result as well. So uh, would you make any changes to the team? Because his hands are kind of tied to some extent, aren't they? Especially in the midfield. Yeah, I mean, in terms of learning lessons, I would suggest that they play two halves of 45 minutes this time rather than just 40 minutes. Um, that You know, that was the weakness last night. They started both halves very very slowly um so they need to learn that lesson because if there's one thing we can probably guess about Leeds on Sunday it's that they will come out of the blocks very very quickly especially even seeing what happened last night with the atmosphere where we know we're going to get an Allen Road the first the first five minutes of the first half especially they'll be absolutely flying and if United are sleepwalking again they could find themselves behind already so I think that's that is the biggest area for improvement in terms of changes um I defensively and in midfield there's not a lot you can do really I would make changes in attack I'll play Sancho from the start and I'd move Rashford into the middle um, I, I wrote on Saturday and it kind of reinforced it again last night that I think at the moment Sancho is United's best left winger best right winger and best centre forward um, and I know down the right's not his best position and he, he probably shouldn't have played there last night but you know, every goal he scored for England in the World Cup was off the right. Those two he scored against Burnley. I think it was two against Burnley. We won against Burnley, and the Carabao Cup were off the right. So he's got he's got better in that position, but he's undoubtedly their best left winger, and he's undoubtedly the best centre forward for me. 
Samuel mentioned before the, the stat about moving centrally. He scored after two minutes on Saturday, moving to centre-forward in three minutes last night. And I thought both goals were interesting because they were they were elite striker goals. They were pure number nine goals, really. The one against Palace. Yeah. His, his non-movement was incredible. You often talk about the movement of strikers, but what Rashford did brilliantly against Palace was basically not move. He made he, he made a run beyond the defence. I think it was Garnacho, wasn't it? It was dribbling across the box to try and look for a through ball. It didn't come. The ball went to shore. And the centre-backs dropped to the six-yard line. And Sancho, uh, Sancho, Rashford just stood still, basically. And the centre-backs dropped beyond him. And he was in space to, to suck away the finish. And it's easy, I, I guess, as a... I'm talking like an elite centre-forward here. I most definitely am not. But I imagine it's easy to sort of constantly be on the move, trying to get on the ball, when really all you need to sometimes do sometimes is stand still. And he stood still and found space because of it. And then last night, I mean, I thought that header last night was absolutely world-class. It, it was by no means a perfect ball from Dallow. He had to really leap and stretch his head to get on it. And the angle of the header was was totally unstoppable. I thought it was a, a phenomenal centre-forwards header. So I would I would definitely play him through the middle, I think, um, from the start and play Sancho on the left. And then I guess it depends on Anthony and, and fitness-wise on the right. But that would be two... Well, one change and one positional change for sure. I'd agree with both of those. Yeah, definitely. And Ty, you're putting yourself down. You're you're an elite goalkeeper, though, aren't you? I think it was, was it only the the seven goals conceded it? I am. Yeah, yeah. In the media game. Yeah, I, to be fair, I didn't say I wasn't an elite goalkeeper. Just um, yeah, but the you've got to look at the xG that day, Steve. And I think the xG was uh, was well into double figures. We absolutely love xG on this podcast, don't we, Samuel? Yes, massive. <laughs> um, Samuel, you said title talk would be stupid to start again. Obviously, the seven points behind Arsenal, who have two games in hand, but they've got to play Manchester City twice. Do you think it's inevitable? Supporters are going to start gradually talking about it again, or do you think that's a bit a bit naive at this stage? No, I said earlier that they wouldn't. They didn't win last night, so they've they've dropped they've dropped points in three of their last four games. I don't see where the title talk comes from at the moment. And they've got a cup final at the end of this month. They've got two cup games against Barcelona coming up. So, no. Completely fair. Short to the point. I like it. And Ty, just to wrap up then, um, I think you put them on your entries in your blog post. United are almost on the fringes of the, of that kind of, you know, uh, title challenge. So, approaching the summer now, we're a few months away. What kind of positions need to be addressed to bridge that gap uh, for a genuine title charge? Centre forward for sure. Sent forward for for definite, not for Luke Shaw. That would be a strange move. You, you're looking at more depth, I guess. I mean, the centre-backs are good. The starting centre midfield, you'd, you'd maybe want a younger midfielder to compete with Ericsson. He started very well. I think he's he struggled a little bit before getting the injury. But I think centre-forward is is clearly the the main the main area. I think I, I disagree with Samuel Tuck. I wouldn't say they're in a title race, but they are they are on the fringes of it. Um, had they taken six points from six this week I'd have been more confident I think dropping points last night again is going to prove to be costly but at the start of this season we we probably thought to be in a title race they'd have to be chasing Liverpool and City getting 98-99 points and instead you're chasing Arsenal and although they're on for a good number of points they're going to feel the pressure at some point in the second half of the season United have played Arsenal and City four times in their first 20 games they've still got to play each other so you know they're they're by no means in the title race or even approaching likely winners. But for me, they they they're certainly going into last night. They were on the fringes of it, and it's one of those where I was talking to one of our colleagues about this on the way out. It's it's an opportunity you probably didn't expect because you would have thought 
this would be the Liverpool and City show once again, and it's not. So it is an opportunity. It's one that Arsenal are taking at the moment, and you have to say fair play to Arsenal because they've been brilliant. But if they do stumble towards 88 points, something like that, then that would that would have felt within United's grasp on a couple of occasions this season. So I wouldn't be saying they're in the title race, but they're they're hovering around on the fringes. And if, if things change, like I say, had they got six points from six this week and then you've got Arsenal and City playing each other on Wednesday, there'd have been a lot more talk about it. I mean, drop points last night, it's obviously a blow. If they drop points again on Sunday, then it's probably back to the stage of, of forget it. But you can see that, that tally. I know Arsenal were over 100 points a couple of weeks ago, but you can see that drop into... 90 maybe because it, it's I feel it's just inevitable they're going to feel the pressure and they haven't got the depth that, that we're talking about with United either um, but yeah it's you know it's clearly it's, it's clearly too soon but it was too soon for Leicester in 2016 wasn't it and they won it and I think we all probably thought it was too soon for Arsenal this year so it was it, it's been an opportunity one that will probably pass United by and there'll be absolutely no shame in that but um, it does kind of show at least how, how close they're getting and that with a few shrewd additions in the summer that they they could probably compete next year. Yeah, it feels like a normal, quote-unquote, normal Premier League season. This is before kind of Klopp yeah, Guardiola yeah. came in and, and changed the Premier League in that regard. Um, we'll wrap up there then, uh, gents. Uh, thank you very much for your time, Samuel. Thank you, Stephen. And thanks as usual, Ty. Thank you, Stephen. I'm just about to go off and stare at my posters of, of Nick Pope and Eddie Howe. Um, but head over to YouTube and check out the MEN's YouTube channel, uh, Manchester United YouTube channel, of course. As I said last week, we've now surpassed a thousand subscribers. So like, comment, subscribe, check it out over there. Thanks for listening as usual. Take care.